There have been a number of Trump administration staff resignations in protest of Trump's handling of Wednesday, January 6th rally that turned violent. They would be leaving in less than two weeks anyway, but they wanted to make a statement. The biggest being the Transportation Secretary, Elaine Chao, who, get this, is the wife of the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. And let's hit the Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, who criticized Trump's rhetoric as having an impact on the rioters inside the Capitol. And for an entirely different but obvious reason, the chief of the Capitol Police has resigned. Video has emerged showing a number of Trump supporters trying to stop protesters from breaking into the Capitol Wednesday. The video shows one Trump supporter trying to physically restrain someone who was attempting to damage the door, and others were booing the protesters, yelling, Stop them! Don't break the window! And get this, no Antifa! No Antifa! Which shows that they knew who was trying to break in. It was not Trump supporters. It was Antifa. And KUTV in Utah reports that a man was standing next to Ashley Babbitt, and he filmed her fatal shooting with a, with professional equipment. He has been identified as a far-left protest organizer from Utah who founded a group called Insurgents USA. He's associated with Black Lives Matter, and he was arrested last summer for organizing a riot that ended in shooting. He also has a history of social media posts promoting Antifa and BLM, branding Trump a white nationalist, and calling to, quote, burn it all down, unquote. You can see more, including some of the posts that I just mentioned from Katie Pavlich at townhall.com. And there's an interesting first-person account of Wednesday, January 6th, violence by someone who was on the scene as it was happening and who has made the claim that we do not know the full story yet. <laughs> Imagine that. To be clear, this is not an, a, an attempt to shift blame. Most of the people involved do appear to have been Trump supporters, but a handful of violent fanatics are not representative of the vast majority of peaceful protesters. The media have lectured all of that to us for months before suddenly switching positions on Wednesday, January 6th. Get this. Representative Marjorie Taylor, Republican of Georgia, has announced that on January 21st, 2021, she will be introducing articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. She declares that he must be held accountable for his actions and his own statements say that he has been bought by China and he has already been recorded for abusing power when he was vice president. And finally... Questions are being rightly raised about the deadly police shooting of unarmed protester Ashley Babbitt. Video from inside the building seems to show that the officer shot Babbitt as she was trying to bust down a door, even though there were officers directly behind her who not only could have peacefully arrested her, but they could have been killed themselves by their fellow officer on the other side of the door. And as that particular article points out, it's sickening to see the leftists who spent the last eight months protesting and rioting against police brutality 
suddenly turning on a dime and gleefully celebrating police murder because the unarmed protester was sh- who was shot was a Trump supporter. And get this. One leftist tweeted, quote, rightly deserved to be shot and killed for trespassing, unquote. Well, maybe they should pass that message along to the DA in St. Louis, who's trying to imprison Mark and Patricia McCloskey just for showing their guns to some leftist protesters who were threatening them while trespassing on their property. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining me around my campfire. And if you're like me, you enjoyed the introduction music by Dave Bray and Jeremy Harrell. America is dying, but it's not too late. The video you're about to hear is from my friend Byron Rogers of Executive Protection Lifestyle. Byron is one of my encouragers through his YouTube channel. Listen carefully to what is being said in this video. The video is entitled, Become Formidable. This is a live call-in show, so if you have a comment or an opinion, please feel free to call in using Skype through PSN TV. You might be some, say that someone who is incapable of cruelty is a higher moral being than someone who is capable of cruelty, and I would say, and this follows Jung as well, that that's incorrect, and it's dangerously incorrect, because if you are not capable of cruelty, you are absolutely a victim to anyone who is. Boom, what's up you guys? I just wanted to real quick talk about something that's really important developmentally and being a protector and being efficient and effective in life and that is becoming formidable. I think it's very important for people to understand that um, first and foremost, if you want to be a protector of the ones you love, of yourself, of your family, just in life in general, you need to focus on becoming formidable. If you are not formidable, you don't get to say what is truly going to happen in your environment. You don't get to say what stands, whether good or bad stands. This is why so much of becoming a protector has to do with the training that you um, involve yourself in, that has to do with the lifestyle that you live on a daily basis. It has so much more to do with just the fact that you've got a contract or that you've got a job that has to do with protection. It has more to do with the fact that you may have a job that has nothing to do with protection. Most importantly, it has to do with having habits in your life that help you become strong. You don't make men safe by making them weak. In fact, they're much more dangerous when they're weak because they'll stab you in the back when they get the chance or take advantage of you when you when they get the chance. You make men safe, let's say, by making them strong and then by making sure that they're disciplined. Fear and weakness are the enemies of everything that you love and seek to stand for in this world. When the world around you falls out of balance and you see evil or negative things reigning and dominating is because good men have not done the work to be formidable enough to stop evil things from taking superior positionings in that environment. As good people, if we really truly seek to be good people, I think it's very important for us to not just focus on being nice, but also to focus on being formidable and being powerful enough to be able to ensure that the environment 
stays safe and that high values prevail. The only thing standing between evil and tyranny truly is formidable men and women that can say no and can back up the reality of that decision of no to tyranny, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a very important principle that we need humans to embody within the world. And that is to be capable of physically, mentally, and emotionally defending what needs to be defended on this planet to ensure that good doesn't get snuffed out by the darkness. People don't do bad things not because they're good, but because they're afraid to do the bad things. This notion that things are going to be okay is something that we've been lulled into by the movies and things we've watched over the years with regard uh, from Hollywood. It's not true. The reality of this world is simply that good people die every day. Good people are martyred and persecuted every day. And they die every day as a result of not being able to defend themselves and be formidable. And you don't even, and it's not even always just about being physically formidable, but it has to do with being able to speak about the things that you believe in from a place of strength, compassion, and efficacy and intelligence, being able to defend what it is you believe in, in conversation and on every other level that comes with defense. So I wanna encourage you, if you are a good person, if there's people that you love in your life, if there's people that, you, that, 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 shouldn't, that don't deserve to have to live under the foot of evil, focus on becoming formidable because are you truly good? If you cannot defend what is important in this world from evil, just a thought. And that's why I say protection is more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. When you truly want to be good, you must be able to defend good from the darkness and from evil. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. We need good people. And that's why my mission on this planet is, we need good people to be capable. And that's why my mission on this planet is to multiply, multiply protectors, to make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more willing, capable, and prepared. Yes, I'll say, by helping good people to become more dangerous because that is truly what makes us good, the ability to make sure evil does not win. Let that sink in for a second, you guys. Know that I'm with you here in that fight to protect and stand for what is good and what is righteous in the world. And I'm gonna to continue to create tools to help people learn mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically how to be and maintain um, the capabilities to stand for what it is that we truly love and want to see in our world and want our children to experience as they grow up. This is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade, reminding you to stay peaceful, but not harmless. Out. Boom. So we need to keep building the ark and let the rain do the talking. We are building the ark right now. We are formidable. But my question is, are you ready? Can you be formidable? We all can. We all need to get into that mindset. We are there. 
Now, here's something you might want to consider before you get the COVID-19 vaccination. It's a ramification of the shot that has been received almost no publicity, but it could have serious harmful effects on those who already have it and need a convalescent plasma transfusion. A study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine found that long after trans athletes start taking female hormones, they still have a physical advantage over athletes who are born female. Hormones can alter male advantages, such as upper body strength, bone size, heart size, and lung capacity. I'm sorry, it cannot alter male advantages. From the link from the British Journal of Sports Medicine, they quote, Before hormone use, males who identify as females performed 31% more push-ups and 15% more sit-ups in one minute and ran 1.5 miles 21% faster than females. During the first two years of hormone use, males who identify as female were able to do 10% more push-ups and 6% more sit-ups than females. Following the two-year mark, those numbers became fairly equivalent. Roberts, the researcher, told NBC News. When it comes to running, however, even after two years of taking hormones, males who identify as females were still 12% faster. It is not transphobia, hate, or bigotry to point out the blindingly obvious biological fact that it's not fair to girls to allow males who identify as female to compete in their sports, even if they're on hormones. Arguing otherwise is a perfect example of George Orwell's rule that, quote, there are some ideas so absurd that only an intellectual could believe them, unquote. What does this have to do with the vaccine for COVID? Know what is in the COVID vaccine. Know what hormones are in the COVID vaccine. And then draw your own conclusion. It should come as no surprise to students of history when the leftists gained power, their first impulse is to launch a purge of their perceived enemies and to criminalize any criticism of them. This is usually predicated on some convenient emergency. Well, this emergency was the violence in Congress by a handful of hot-headed Antifa and Trump supporters. Democrats usually overplay their hands and infuriate this most center-right nation. And remember how they voted out after shoving Obamacare down our throats? But never in history has the party and its enablers been so far to the left and so drunk on power. And never have they dived so quickly into their deepest totalitarian impulses. Representative Alexandria Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is hilariously demanding the expulsion from Congress all Republicans who exercised their constitutional right to challenge the electoral vote until alleged irregularities were investigated. She and other Democrats are claiming that they allegedly incited the Capitol violence, even though they said nothing whatsoever to encourage it. Senator Ted Cruz even explained why this is utter nonsense, other than the fact that it came out of AOC's mouth. It's obvious 
that she doesn't understand free speech any better than she understands economics, since there are very specific laws that define incitement. And nothing they or Trump said falls under that definition. You cannot hold someone else accountable for their actions of irrational people who misconstrue what they say, or else the Beatles would have been arrested for the Manson murders. However, if AOC seriously thinks that Aganon protesters on the sacred grounds of the Capitol is an offense worthy of expulsion from Congress, then I would remind everyone that in 2018, she joined about 200 youth activists who stormed Nancy Pelosi's office to demand action on climate change and refused to leave an illegal incursion into the sacred temple of democracy that resulted in 51 of them being arrested by the Capitol Police. If she could tender her resignation by Monday, that would be great. And it appears that with the Democrats so swiftly tipping their hand that they hypocritically flipped positions overnight on condemning violent protesters and immediately started abusing their power and demonizing 75 million Trump supporters. The backlash is starting with equal swift, equal swiftness. The Rasmussen reports that in just two days after the Wednesday, January 6th violence and the Democrats' attempts to exploit by calling for Trump's removal by impeachment of the 25th Amendment, his approval rating soared. The moral? Do not let leftist politicians and the media gaslight you. They may try to silence what you say, but they cannot stop you from seeing what they are. As the story says, this same, this came after Michelle Obama called on social media platforms to ban Trump, accusing him of monstrous behavior that fuels insurrection. If you don't recall that name, <laughs> she's the wife of the recent past president who told a rally crowd that if Republicans bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun and whose White House representatives told Democratic senators that if they get hit, punch back twice as hard. That sounds quite insightful to me. And a reminder, these tech giants have allowed leftist groups such as Antifa and BLM to use their sites to organize protests that turned into riots. They allow violent rhetoric and death threats aimed at conservatives. And they've even turned a blind eye to Iran posting death to America rhetoric. But they ban the United States president and those who support him? With the mass exodus of people leaving Facebook and Twitter, these tech giants have lost over $65 billion in just one day. I, for one, I'm now on Magabook, M-A-G-A book. If you go to Magabook.com, you can download the app and get on Magabook. I like it over there and enjoy the unhindered free speech. And at this point, for all conservative choices to leave Twitter and Facebook voluntarily without having another place to go would be like giving our opponents what they want. 
This is a time to think strategically, not emotionally. And thanks to Ed Driscoll at Instapundent for reminding us that when BLM was burning down cities, Colin Kaepernick used Twitter to call for more violence. And Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey gave him $3 million grant to do more of it. Why hasn't he been dethroned? Law professor and independent blog master Glenn Reynolds points out that by pushing the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to block President Trump from initiating military hostilities or having access to, nu- to the nuclear codes, she was attempting to incite a military coup against the commander-in-chief, which by law is sedition. Shouldn't she be removed from office? And here's a chill, chilling reminder of why it's not a good idea to pin your hopes on preventing a far-left transformation of America on West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin not folding under pressure like a thrift store card table. I've talked before about the big invisible switch in Washington that gets flipped whenever power changes hands. Right now, Trump is still in office. And the power has already been flipped. Democrats who cheered on and defended violent riots all year suddenly think that they are an intolerable assault on democracy. That they must be severely punished, whoever does it. Democrats who've railed against billionaires having too much power or even existing for that matter, are now cheering billionaires influencing the election and silencing their opponents' free speech. And now, add this switch. Democrats who've wailed about the unfairness of less populous states having the same number of senators as New York and California think that Washington, D.C., a city with a population of just over 700,000, should have two Democratic senators to negate the two Republican senators from Texas, population nearly 3 million. Senator Manchin might also want to ponder whether the voters of West Virginia, which is a solidly red state where he's the only Democrat in any major office and where Trump beat Biden by over two to one, he may really want their senators and representatives' votes negated by D.C. and Puerto Rico. I already told you about the quick staccali dumb idea of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats to impeach President Trump with less than two weeks to go. Actually, it's less than a week to go now before he leaves office. They're even saying that could go, go on beyond January 20th, so he would be impeached even after he's already left office. They're like a deranged dog with a fixation on chewing the mail carrier's left leg. In an interview with 60 Minutes, Pelosi even admitted that the reason why this pointless partisan exercise is more important than, say, providing relief to the people suffering from Democrats' virus shutdowns is because they're trying to prevent Trump from being elected again. Call me a naysayer. Call me names. I am using their own words. Pelosi declared, quote, this president is guilty of inciting insurrection, and he has to pay the price for that, 
unquote. Apparently, she didn't learn from her first failed attempt at impeaching Trump that you have to actually have evidence. I criticize Trump's rhetoric myself, but legal experts have gone over what he said on January 6th, and nothing in his speech meets the legal definition of inciting violence or insurrection. He even specifically called on his supporters to peacefully and patriotically make choices heard. As law professor Jonathan Turley points out, it would be would damage the Constitution by setting a precedent of impeaching a president for comments protected by the First Amendment. And if anyone noticed, or even if you didn't notice, let me tell you, during that time of January 6th and everything that was going on, Trump was shut down by the media to contact the American people and let them know what he was thinking. When he came on the air, it was aired by places like Newsmax and OAN. The major news medias refused to air him. And he is being penalized for their actions. After all, it's not as if he supported and cheered on protesters who stormed into and occupied Pelosi's office, as Pelosi and AOC did in 2018. Nor did he urge people to commit violence against the president and his supporters at the time. At least 10 Democratic members of Congress did. There are also a number of other problems with this impeachment scenario. As law professor Alan Dershowitz points out, Senate rules won't allow the case to be taken up until 1 p.m. January 20th, an hour after Trump leaves office. Quote, and the Constitution specifically says, he says, the president shall be removed from office upon impeachment. It does not say. The former president, Congress has no power to impeach or try a private citizen, whether it be a private citizen named Donald Trump or named Barack Obama or anyone else, unquote. The law professor Glenn Reynolds argues impeachment only disqualifies someone from holding offices of trust or profit, which are appointed, not elected officials. Senators cannot tell the voters whom they're, they've allowed to elect as president. They don't get to veto on that. And besides, conviction in the Senate would still require a two-thirds vote. And I don't know how many Republican senators from solid Trump states really want to flush their careers down the porcelain convenience just to impeach a president who's already left office. Maybe. If they try really hard, they can think of something more productive to do with their well-paid dime. Joy Pullman at The Federalist has a must-read roundup of the great purge of wrong-think people by big tech and other large corporations and the push for total personal destruction of political opponents by the slanderously misnamed Lincoln Project. 
good old Abe must be spinning in his grave. She makes the point that they learned these tactics from the Chinese Communist Party's social credit system, and they are bringing it to America. This is something that's been long in the works under the guise of cancel culture, social media, outrage mobs, and public shaming. In case you're not familiar with it, China uses social media, phone records, thousands of public surveillance cameras with facial recognition technology, and other big brother-like means to keep tabs on everyone's words and behavior. If you say or do something, anything, even jaywalking, that displeases the government, it goes on your record. Then, when you attempt to exercise any freedom, such as buying a train ticket, you may find that you're not allowed to because your social credit score is too low. The stated goal, indeed, a line used to sell this as a wonderful idea, is that if you follow all the rules and never do or say anything, the wrong thing, you can do anything you want. But if you are a bad person who violates the rules or says the wrong thing too often, you will not be allowed to step outside your house. It's the ultimate in totalitarianism control. And notice how it relies on the aid of high-tech companies to enforce. When asked about this, the Chinese will tell you it's a wonderful system and they support it completely. But then what else are they going to say? They're terrified to tell the truth. Here in America, we still have freedom to call it what it is. It is an Orwellian nightmare of censorship and intimidation that should be stopped at all costs. But for how long are we going to be able to keep our freedom? If some people who currently hold a lot of money and power and falsely believe that they occupy the moral high ground have their say, we will not have that freedom for very long. Activists who caused mayhem trying to crash the joint session of Congress last week, tragically leading to one shooting death and several other fatalities, including one policeman, have been characterized in news reports as right-wing conspiracy theorists who identify with such groups as QAnon. It's not the first time Trump supporters have been reportedly associated with QAnon. And when this came up once before, some of my listeners wrote and asked me, what is QAnon? Well, heck if I know. Seriously, we had no idea. We'd heard of Q, and we'd listened to a few of Q's rhetorics, but we didn't know anything else about them. And those readers must not have known either, or they wouldn't have asked. Judging from typical news accounts, though, Trump supporters are deep into this and other wild conspiracy theories, like the crazy belief that some people actually commit election fraud. Of course, we know that's nonsense, especially when applied to the 2020 election, which we've been assured was the most accurate and secure election in our nation's history. That's good enough for us. 
And just so you know, that is called sarcasm. And since news accounts are known for giving such keen and insightful depictions of Trump supporters, how we think, what motivates us, what we like to buy at Walmart and order at the Olive Garden, we were frankly a little embarrassed at our ignorance at QAnon. What kind of self-respecting Trump supporters are we, not even knowing what it is, let alone not believing whatever it was that they're putting out there? So we did a very basic research and tackled the question briefly. After the Capitol Hill riot on November 6th, the topic of QAnon came up again in a particularly sad context. Ashley Babbitt, the woman who was killed by a Capitol Police officer inside of the building, or so they say was a Capitol Hill officer, reportedly at least looked into QAnon herself. Here's how the AP put it, quote, her Twitter account promoted mainstream conservative views, but also included references to the QAnon conspiracy theory, which centers on the baseless belief that Trump had been secretly fighting deep state enemies and a cabal of Satan-worshipping cannibals operating a sex trafficking ring. Well, they had me at deep state enemies, but they lost me at Satan-worshipping cannibals. Please understand, I strongly condemn the foolish and destructive actions at the Capitol. Everyone involved should be ashamed of what they did. And those who disobeyed the Capitol Police, who vandalized the building and led to the death and destruction, should be prosecuted for what happened. And I'm not just talking. Antifa, and BLM. I'm talking the Trump supporters that were involved. I also would like to have fully prosecuted the Antifa and BLM writers of last summer. Their actions helped Trump's adversaries wrongfully paint the president and all of his supporters as insurrectionists and evil seditionists, giving the left an excuse to crush our civil rights, which they are now still doing. And still, the AP report about Babbitt reads mostly like a hit piece, especially jarring since the woman has just been killed. It includes a couple of nice remarks from her ex-husband, Aaron, but otherwise paints her as a nutty Trump supporter who believed all those crazy things about the election and tweeted about gun rights and illegal immigration. According to the AP report, quote, Babbitt, an Air Force veteran who identified as a libertarian and supporter of the Second Amendment, frequently posted unsubstantiated views about election fraud by the president and his most extreme supporters. Activists whose conspiracy theories and unflinching support for Trump have attracted large numbers of online followers. Unquote. They depict her as a criminal for having online supporters. Really? 
Babbitt was once charged with road rage, says the report, but she was acquitted. She's reportedly supported a recall drive against California Governor Gavin Newsom, which is at least one testament to her sanity and good judgment, in my opinion. Again, quoting from the AP, quote, Brian Levin, director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University, San Bernardino, said that Babbitt will be remembered as a martyr by people with a wide range of grievances spanning from disbelief in the seriousness of the pandemic to beliefs in QAnon conspiracy theories. He goes on to say, when you have people in an alternate universe, they will take a catalytic event and spin it in a way that is most appealing to their emotions and fears, irrespective of what the facts may end up showing, he said. Well, isn't that special? I get the impression that to such a condescending person, gun rights and legal immigration and Trump supporter right up there with cannibalistic sex trafficking ring and as crazed things to believe in. And many on the left eagerly lump us all into the same alternate universe. I'd also say that anything called the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism might want to focus a little attention attention on the hate and extremism coming from the left, along with those wild conspiracy theories about Trump and Putin and Russian prostitutes. I'll bet they won't, because those examples are perfectly normal. Again, sarcasm. Apparently, Babbitt had posted a photo of herself in a QAnon shirt. We wish we could tell you more about this group, but uh, like most Trump supporters, we're just not into that. When President Trump was asked by an incredibly rude town hall host, Savannah Guthrie, last year, about QAnon, he said he didn't know anything about it. He said, quote, I just don't know about QAnon, he said. QAnon was supposedly named for Q, a shadowy figure who remains anonymous. But if some of those people who stormed the Capitol and dashed conservative hopes are members of QAnon, I say the Q should really stand for Coyote, as in Don Coyote, who famously tilted at windmills. From this, we get the word Coyotetic, which means foolishly impractical, especially in the pursuit of lofty ideals. It also means having or showing ideas that are different and unusual, but not practical or likely to succeed. The foolhardiness 
and its tragic end are all the Q represents to me. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tried to force the House to adopt unanimous consent, which means no debate on a resolution calling on Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove President Trump from office. Surprise! It failed. Former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who endorsed Obama in 2008 and 2012, Hillary Clinton in 2016, and Joe Biden in 2020, announced that he is no longer a Republican. In that same spirit, I hereby announce that I am no longer a teenager. With big tech companies such as Google, Apple, and Amazon acting in concert to crush parlor and silence conservative political speech, the big question is, what do you do about it? Representative Devin Nunez has called for a RICO investigation. But the Department of Justice, under the control of the Democrats, who benefit from the collusion, ironically, that's not really likely to happen. Conservatives tried going to other platforms, but the Silicon Valley leftists control so much of the digital infrastructure that they can cut off any competitor's web hosting, email service, even digital payment systems. And I was just informed that QAnon has two meanings, so I'm only half right. The Q is meant for the God-like figure, and Anon is anonymous. Q is from the Star Trek, the show, The Next Generation. The character had God-like powers, but was always in the shadows until he felt the need to reveal himself. His species were all gifted the powers of God because they had the tech able to make themselves as powerful as gods. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay, so I was only half right. A bill was just introduced to scale back Section 230 protections when social media companies violate free speech rights, but I have little hope of it passing under the Democrats. An article in the New York Post calls for federal intervention, but admits that it won't happen until at least 2024 when Republicans could take back the White House and Congress. But will they be able to when their free speech and online presence for four years? So what can be done right now? There's two things. And they're already happening. On Monday, Parler turned to the courts, where there are now a number of Trump-appointed judges who actually care about the Constitution. Parler filed a massive lawsuit against Amazon for antitrust violations, breach of contract, and unlawful business interference, and demanded that their web hosting service be reinstated. Parler says... Their contract with Amazon requires 30 days notice of termination, and they got less than a day. In fact, they found out 
from the left-wing website BuzzFeed, which apparently was told an hour before Parler was informed. Now we finally have an answer to the question, which travels faster, an email or a virtual signal? Since Parler CEO John Matz says he's getting death threats, he's afraid to even go home. And I assume those were ginned up on Twitter. Then under the same standard applied to Parler, Twitter is responsible for the people fomenting death threats, and they should be shut down. Let's hope this is only the first of many major, major lawsuits against big tech companies. In the meantime, there's also another way to fight back. And that, too, is also starting. The tech giants think that they can disappear 75 million Americans who voted for Trump. But 75 million angry Americans can respond by refusing to do business with them. A lot of them have turned off Facebook and Twitter and are now actually talking to their real friends or they're reading a book. They're going outside are spending time with their families and they're doing something really productive like restarting the Tea Party movement. They can shop in person at locally owned stores instead of on Amazon. This whole we don't need no stinking deplorables as customers attitude proved its foolishness to the company's shareholders on Monday when Twitter's stock value plummeted by, by over $65 billion in one day, losing 12% of its value. That's its stock value, it is. I'm not sure what other value Twitter has. Also on Monday, other tech stocks took a beating, like with Amazon losing 2.15% of its value, Google and Apple losing over 2.3%, and Facebook dropping by over 4%. That article assumes that it's just temporary and they'll bounce back. Or it could be only the beginning. A show of hands. How many people out there who have left Twitter plan to go back? How many plan to give money to any of those companies as long as they're colluding to provide you, deprive you of your constitutional rights? No, I don't see any hands out there. Ultimately, the greatest power is the power of the purse. The leftist billionaires who control those tech companies are dependent on us, giving them our time and money. Yet they're so arrogant and filled with crap that they think it's we who are dependent on them. They actually believe that if they deplatform the walkaway movement, it will prevent people from walking away from the left. They're right. They're not walking. The people are running away from the left. As far as Facebook and Twitter thinking that they're here to stay and we're permanently dependent on them, how much time have you spent on MySpace lately? Leftists keep telling us that President Trump is an embarrassment to America in the eyes of other nations. 
personally. I find it embarrassing that the leaders of other nations around the world, even left-wing leaders, are watching American big tech CEOs' outrageous censorship of Trump, and his supporters are condemning the United States for its failure to protect the right to free speech. My favorite quote from Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who calls social media purge an unacceptable form of censorship, said, quote, don't tell me Trump was banned for violating Twitter rules. I get death threats here every day for many years, and Twitter doesn't ban anyone, unquote. Also worth considering, maybe they've gone too far when Germany is telling them that they're acting like fascists. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi blamed last week's violent protest inside the Capitol on the whiteness and people placing whiteness over democracy. Let me remind everybody, Nancy Pelosi is white. But I think she has a point. All the power in Washington is concentrating in one racist organization whose leaders are two wealthy white men ages 70 and 78, and a very wealthy white woman who's 80. They all refuse to relinquish their power to younger, more diverse challengers. In the name of eradicating the corrosive power of whiteness, I call on them to resign immediately. Well, maybe not the 78-year-old white guy. He'll probably be replaced by a younger woman of color, at least pretty soon anyway. That's my opinion. The latest Project Veritas exposed allegedly shows Michael Beller, principal counsel for PBS, saying that if Trump were to win the election, people should, quote, go to the White House and throw Molotov cocktails, unquote. He also said that Trump supporters are bad parents and are, quote, raising a generation of intolerable, horrible people, horrible kids, unquote. So, quote, even if Biden wins, We go for all the Republican voters. Homeland Security will take their children away and will put them in re-education camps, unquote. Nothing screams, I'm pro-tolerance, like wanting to throw Molotov cocktails if you lose an election or take your political opponent's children away and put them in re-education camps. In response, PBS downplayed Beller's role and said, well, he no longer works here. They condemned violence and slammed Project Veritas as a far-right activist group that is known for producing deceptive videos, although they didn't specify what was far-right or deceptive about that video. At least I'm glad to hear that a leftist can actually lose a job over his hateful, violent, intolerant rhetoric, although I assume he'll soon have a cushy job as a commentator on CNN. I recently told you that the left is claiming that bringing up their year-long defense of riots, assaults on federal property and violent attacks on the police officers is just what is called whataboutism. And I explained that the term means I find it convenient, inconvenient to have you put out, point out my hypocrisy. Well, there actually is a serious definition of the term. And this is a an excellent essay by William 
Vogeli, V-O-E-G-E-L-I, and it can be found at City Journalism. It also explains why the term does not apply to the left's attempts to dodge responsibility for their clearly hypocritical rhetoric. And we've received a number of comments asking about an Internet rumor that Google bought DuckDuckGo search engine that protects our privacy. That is not true. A few years ago, Google bought a company that was owned by a domain duck.com, which led to the confusion. DuckDuckGo complained, and Google voluntarily relinquished the domain, which now automatically redirects users to duckduckgo.com. So it appears that DuckDuckGo is still an independent and dedicated to protecting privacy that they are justified in having a welcome mat at their headquarters that reads, come back with a warrant. And I'm still disappointed that the welcome mat, I didn't get one for Christmas. And true to their word, several House Democrats have introduced a resolution to pass a constitutional amendment to abolish the Electoral College and elect the president by national popular vote. Because unlike in previous times, New York, Montana, Minnesota, Alabama, and Texas are all exactly the same now. The chances of this passing are pretty slim since it would require a two-thirds vote in both houses of Congress, then ratified by three-fourths of the states, 38 out of 50, or however many states there are after the Democrats get through transforming America. I would hope that there aren't that many states that would willingly give away their say over who becomes president to a handful of highly populated states like California, New York, Texas, and Florida. But I did want you to be aware of this and also share their argument why the Electoral College is obsolete. I think you'll find it one of the funniest things you'll hear all day. They said, the development of mass media and the Internet has made information about presidential candidates easily accessible to the United States citizens across the country and around the world. You know, I don't think this is a very good time to claim that we can depend on the Internet to provide a free and nonpartisan flow of information about politics. Ask all the Biden voters who somehow never heard about Hunter's laptop or the millions of former parlor users. Just weeks after it was reported that Rep- Representative Eric Solwell was in bed with an alleged Chinese spy, and literally so, he had the stunning accusation that Rep- Republican Congress member of siding with terrorists and committing a crime by disclosing the location of Speaker Pelosi to the Capitol rioters. And if that's true, that Representative Lauren Boebert disobeyed orders not to make social media posts during the assault, then that is a serious lapse that deserves attention. But tweeting that, quote, the speaker has been removed from the chambers, unquote, did not reveal where she was, just where she wasn't. So how is that useful to terrorists? I'd be fine with an investigation into this issue, as long as there's also a thorough investigation into what information Sawwell, with his place on the House Intelligence Committee, might have revealed to China. But then he'll be too busy 
to answer those questions since Pelosi gave him a post on her committee to impeach Trump for allegedly betraying America. Self-awareness is rare in Washington these days, just as fiscal responsibility. Way back in the junior high days, in my seventh grade year, I was asked to recite a poem of my choice. I chose the ragged old flag. I choose it now for this night because it still rings true to this day in my heart while giving a true brief history lesson that has been deleted out of our American culture. I walked through a country courthouse square on a park bench. An old man was sitting there. I said, your courthouse is kind of run down. He said, nah, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole has leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat. And I sat down. Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, well, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. Then it got powder burned the night Francis Scott Keyes sat watching it and writing, Oh, say, can you see? And it got a bad rip in New Orleans with Packingham and Jackson tugging at its seams. And it almost fell at the Alamo beside the Texas flag. But she waved on, though. She got cut with a sword at Chancellorsville. And she got cut again at Shiloh Hill. There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard and Bragg. And the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag. On Flanders Field in World War I. She got a big hole from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limped and low a time or two. She was in Korea and Vietnam. She went where she was sent by Uncle Sam. She waved from our ships upon the briny foam. And now they're about to quit waving her back here at home. In her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused. And the government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. She's getting threadbare and wearing thin. But she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Because she's been through the fire before, and I believe she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning. We take her down every night. And we don't let her touch the ground. And we fold her upright. You know, on second thought, I do like to brag. Because I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. This sends the broadcast for me tonight. Thank you for joining me around my campfire. There is a reason why I press the words, train hard, 
Train smart to survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate signing off until next time. They say America is dead, but there's a lot of people lying.